Well, God not only wants us to praise him with our lips, the songs of those who worship him, but God wants us to praise him with our actions as well. The Christian life is not a stationary life. There's movement to it. God is always working on our hearts, working on our lives. And you know that we have been sharing with you that you cannot go with God and stay where you are. That's been the theme and continues to be the theme of really this year and what God wants to do in our lives. God wants us to be different than we presently are. He wants us to be more and more conformed into the image of Christ, His Son. The one who gave his life for us, the one who died for us, that we might be able to be transformed into his image. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. And so the praise of our lives is that our actions might change and that we might cooperate with the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives and shape us and change us. In Jan Atenga's book, Follow Me, he writes this, One of the more significant signs of God's activity can be seen when he turns selfishness into generosity. Turning water into wine is child's play compared to changing the hearts of human beings with regard to money and possessions. I think he's hit the nail right on the head. The act of giving, as I've shared with you, I think is one of the key tools that God uses in upsizing your spiritual stature. And so it's very important for us to concentrate on the realities of what the scriptures have to say about us giving, giving of ourselves, giving of our resources, giving of our all. In fact, in the word of God, it says that, that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so the, the question I think that, that needs to be put to that statement is if I'm to love the Lord with all my heart, mind, body, and soul, what does all in look like? Can I suggest to you that one of the things that I think Jesus takes note of is our standard of giving? When we are trying to answer that question of what it means to be all in, what that would look like, what it would look like to love the Lord our God with all of our mind, body, soul, and and heart, what, in fact, does that look like? And I think Jesus takes note of our standard of giving. There is a story tucked way back at almost the end of the book of Luke. I wonder if you would turn there. To Luke chapter 21 this morning, if you have your Bibles. It's a story that you're familiar with. It's a very, very short story. It's one that almost all of you, I think, have somehow interacted at one time in your life. So you know the details for the most part. Although you probably have never paid attention that it is actually immersed in context. And that in order to understand the nature of the contrast of this story that Jesus shares and what he witnessed with his own eyes... Uh, in context, you have to look at some of the verses just before and understand the contrast. So I want to start actually reading with you from Luke chapter 20, verse 46, right through to Luke 21, verse 4. Jesus is speaking now. By the way, I want you to get um, a really important impression of the reality of things. You're going to encounter, if you've never seen in this text before, that Jesus visits church. Did you know that? I mean, we think we show up here, but Jesus comes here. And um, he's an observer. He is the one we worship, but he's also observing things and seeing things. And and this text makes it even more real to us to understand that, that Jesus Christ hangs out 
the end of your pew, out in the lobby, up here at the front. It's observing, watching. Jesus said this, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. This is the word of God. Jesus also hangs out at offering time. You know when you slip that envelope into the offering plate and with great anonymity, only has a number on it, nobody knows. It's as if it were put in cellophane to God. Number's not anonymous to him. Jesus sees. And that's the essence of what's going on here. He understands the context of your life. He he understands as he stands at the end of the pew and watches what's going on, he he knew what happened all week long. He, He knows what you were talking about just a little while ago. Your life is always in context to Jesus Christ, just as it was in this situation here. And in this story, it's quite interesting. You know, some give in, their giving is a pretense to somehow keep them eligible, they think, for divine perks. There are others, of course, where it isn't about getting at all. Their, their giving is not to get, but just to give. That's the giving that attracts God's attention, by the way. You know, the Lord, it says here, was hanging out, by the way, at the collection plate and He was watching hypocrites and homeless people, the proud and the pond, those who pretend to be pious and their prayers are long-winded. You maybe know some. They put in sizable gifts, or at least it looks like they do on the collection plate. They love to be noticed and made over. They love to be advantaged. They want the best seats at Les Mis when they go. The same day that they are held in honor, they expropriate a widow's home. That's what it says here. And then they try to bury it with a long-winded prayer. And maybe God will be okay with it. Sitting near the court of women, Jesus, on this day, gives an economics lesson from the University of God. He uses the lowest person on the social food chain, who'd been preyed upon by the proud, an economic doormat, a widow, it says, a poor widow in the text. She'd been likely cheated out of all she had by some slick door-to-door investment counselor and then taken for all she was worth by the high management fees in the ministry of widows' affairs in the church. You know, it's uh, not just being endorsed by the clergy here. It's being led by the clergy. This is what Jesus is incredibly upset over. You know, it's 
no doubt they came to the widows and said, hey, if you give more, you can make more. If you make more, you can give more. You've probably heard that kind of economics. Make more so you can give more. It's kind of a stewardship according to capitalism. It doesn't really catch God's attention. He's not really excited about that because like sharks, it's sort of develop a taste for more as an economic blood of discontentment. That's not what Jesus has in mind for us, that somehow we would pick up that disease of discontentment. We're particularly vulnerable to, by the way, Christians. Now let me make sure you understand that God's all for good business. And God's not down on the blessing of fruit, uh, fruitful effort. That's not it at all. But he is also the great surgeon general of our hearts. He sees everything. He knows everything. And he wants to caution us. He puts out a warning label this morning from 1 Timothy 6.4. Beware, Jesus says. The desire to get rich will be hazardous to your spiritual health. And ripping off widows is a really bad health choice. Jesus says um, such men will be punished most severely. So one day, one of the casualties, it appears, drops by church. That's what it says in the story. Did she have an excuse to feel bitter? You bet she did. As all these high and mighty, honored officials around her, who'd been preying on her and the likes of her for years, continuing to get honor, continuing to appear to be blessed, these shysters getting great personal benefit and being honored to boot. And it says in the text that she dropped in the offering plate a dollar and 67 cents. Now you're saying, do you have a different translation than I have? Looks to me like she put in a couple of copper coins. I'll explain that to you in a bit. And Jesus calls over his disciples and says, I I want you to look at her. Mark her out. She's a gold medal giver. And he proceeds to help them to understand the reality of this. You see, in those days, there was the court of men at the temple, and there was the court of Gentiles, and sandwiched right in between was the court of Jewish women. That's where they could go. There were 13 collection boxes. They called them trumpets in those days. It says in the text that she threw in two copper coins. In the, uh, the, the culture of that uh, day, the coins that she actually threw in are called leptons. They're called thin ones. That was their nickname. In fact, they almost fluttered as they went into the offering plate. One sixteenth of a penny each. Two eighths. One-eighth, sorry. What it tells us is that there was approximately five minutes worth of minimum wage each. So ten minutes of minimum wage. By Canadian standards, she threw in $1.67. But interestingly, Jesus wasn't all stirred up about the amount. 
Did you notice in the text? He, he's not, he's not uh, fired up about the amount at all. And so I want to share with you this morning, for a few moments, the three things that really fired Jesus up. He's really excited about. It wasn't the amount. In fact, the first is this. The amount alone isn't enough. It must have attitude. Now, now what were her options? Well, option one is she could have kept everything. And I don't think that any of us, if we had have read the story and said, oh, there's a poor widow, she only has two copper coins and she kept them that day. I don't think any of us would have been all that critical of her. There was no social safety net in those days for a widow like her. She had option two, she could have thrown in one and kept one for herself. That's a 50% gift. She could have reasoned in her own heart, well, you know what, I've got my eye on an 84-cent camel stole. I kind of like to pick that up. And I'll throw this one in. None of us could have criticized her for that. Would have been 50% that she'd thrown in, thrown in the plate. But it says in the text that she, she gave it all. She was all in. In Daryl Bach's commentary, he writes this, The more special we make ourselves, the less special God becomes. What she did here is championed three cornerstones of really good giving. And I think they're summarized by one word, actually, and the word is attitude. It was about her attitude. It wasn't about the amount, per se. It was about her attitude. The first sort of cornerstone of of this whole attitude is the word generosity. In in 1 Timothy, chapter uh, 6, verse 17 and 18, uh, we are instructed as God's people with respect to giving and, and with respect to our wealth. It says in the text, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich. Did you notice the words used twice? Command, command, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. It's not a suggestion. It's not an idea. It's not an option for God's people. It's a command from the living God himself who says, because you are my people, because you are representing my heart in this world, I'm commanding you to be like me. Be generous. Over in 2 Corinthians... Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and chapter 8, verses 10 and 12, we pick up another part of this attitude reality. The first is generosity. The second is found here. Verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And if you turn back to chapter 8, you will notice it says there in verse 10, and here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, he's talking to the church in Corinth, but it's with reference to us as well. You were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your, notice the words, eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. That's what I'm saying. It's not just praise with our lips. It's not just promises with our mouth. It's action whereby we show that we are followers of Christ. 
For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has. She had two copper coins, not according to what he does not have. Three times the word willingness or desire or eager desire is, is put forth to us. The idea is we're, we're not to give with regret. It's not as if we, we, we give uh, with a sense of, of necessity like taxation. Or as if God is pulling it out of us. Pressuring us. No. It's willingness. Eager willingness, desire. I think there's a really good math formula that summarizes this, us to this point. Generosity plus willingness equals an act of worship. That's what worship with, in giving is all about. It's, it's generosity, bountiful, but free with willingness from our hearts. We, in fact, worship God. That's That's how we demonstrate this. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, okay, but um, how generous is generous with respect to this lady? I mean, mean, did she take care of all expenses for the week and everything was good and then she showed up and, and she had a couple of pennies left over and she came and she dropped it in the offering plate? Because... That might represent a whole lot of people. Notice what Jesus said. She put, at the very end of verse 4, she put in all she had to live on. It was intentional. She um, not only was generous and not only was willing, but she knew exactly what she was doing. She knew exactly what she didn't have left over. It wasn't leftovers to God. This was her intention to give. She had nothing left over for herself. Can I um, give you a transformation tip? Let your standard of giving shape your standard of living, not the other way around. That's what this lady, that's why Jesus called his disciples over and said, come here, I, I want you to see her. I want you to see how she is living I want you to know that she is making her standard of living based upon her standard of giving. Uh, This is not something I've made up. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits of all your crops. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter uh, 6, seek first the kingdom of God. The issue here is set God first. Set God and what you intend to give to him as the first priority, as the intention of your life. And then make your life a leftover. Never God. That's what first caught his eye, I think. Let me ask you a question. There were rich people putting in money and there was this poor widow. Who do you think had the harder task? Who had the harder assignment? There was this um, pastor one time went to a farmer and said uh, to him, if God were to give you 100 horses, would you give God 50 back? 
And he said, oh, sure, yeah, of course I would. So he said, now, if God were to give you 100 cows, would you give God 50 back? Yes, yes, of course I would. He said, if you had two pigs, would you give God one back? He said, now cut that out, Pastor. You know I have pigs. <laughs> it's easy to say we would give great quantities of things away that we don't have. And I would submit to you that actually those who have much, it's easier for them to give away than it is those who have little. I mean, if you have $100,000 and you give away $10,000, you still have $90,000 to live on. If, on the other hand, you only have $1,000 and you give away $100, you only have $900 to live on. Who has the easier situation, the person with the 90000 or the person with the 900 And so I think Jesus points out for us the second thing that he notices between these giving out of their wealth and her giving out of her poverty, he says. He says she gave differently. They could afford to give. She gives out of her poverty. I think the second thing he notices is that a poor gift may actually be a rich gift. It must cost. It was King David in 2 Samuel 24, 24 who said, I'm not going to give God something that doesn't cost me anything. When Jesus was about to begin his human public ministry, he was fasting. We find that in Luke chapter 4. You've read of that. Do you remember what the first temptation of Christ was? That Satan whispered in his ear? If you are the Son of God, he says, take those stones and turn them into bread. So if you're the Son of God, trade stones for bread. Now, Jesus could have done that in a flip of his fingers. What Satan was really seeking to cause Jesus to do is, is to live his life in a sense that he was dependent on things. And what does Jesus say to him? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I think Jesus called the disciples over to check out this widow because she got it. See, um, as the widow was tossing those two mites out of her life and into the hands of God, she knew exactly what it meant. She knew that she wasn't about to trade that day copper for bread. She um, was declaring that day that bread alone is not how we live. We live because God words us to live. Do you understand that? Do do we understand with with respect to what we have and all the possessions we have and, and the resources we have and that we go to our workplaces to make a living, not to live? Do you understand the difference between those two things? I mean, the fact that I'm alive this second has nothing to do with what I ate today or what I didn't eat today. It has nothing to do with what I'm going to eat shortly or not eat shortly. I live each second because God words me to live. And she got it. Her life was not about trading silver or copper thin ones for a bit of bread. 
And I would guess $1.67 almost buys a loaf of bread, doesn't it, now? So I guess those two thin ones probably would have bought three quarters of a loaf of bread then. I think it's important for us to understand that she wasn't, by the way, forcing a miracle upon God and somehow living presumptuously. She was serving notice that bread alone doesn't keep her. It's God. And she wanted to do something for God and deprive herself. And she's fully aware that the same power that called the universe into existence by his word could take care of her. The widow's body was not dependent on a couple of mites. There's something else that I think about this whole poor gift becoming a rich gift thing. I think you'll all agree with me that a gift always sends a message to the receiver, doesn't it? Like when we give a gift to someone, it, we're sending them a message. You know, I was thinking of an illustration to help us understand what this might look like, and here's what it might look like for me. I've got some kids, you know that. Most of you have some kids. And regularly, if they don't have money, we give them money to buy us gifts, right? Anybody ever done that? Have you ever given your kids any money to buy you gifts? Yeah. Give them lots of money to buy me gifts. Because I like gifts. Now think of it. I give Jordan and Graydon a pile of money. They come back to buy me a gift. They come back with a deck of Toronto Maple Leaf hockey cards. Now those of you who know, know me, you know that's a really bad, bad gift for me. That's, that's, that's not... And, and, they, and they show me what they bought for themselves out of the money I gave them to buy me a gift. They buy themselves a couple of leaf tickets to the Bruins, Marty. So Graydon and Jordan are going to the Bruin game. I got Toronto Maple Leaf hockey cards. You, you people all know how I'm feeling about that. About that message. About what they think about me. We don't even want you to be with us, Dad. You just look at your little Toronto Maple Leaf hockey cards. We'll go to the game. Now listen. Everything that I have, God has given me. Every single thing. What kind of gifts am I giving him back? When he looks in that envelope on Sunday morning that I toss in the plate, I'm sending him a message of what I think of him. You know, I've been thinking about it. You know, we we send messages everywhere we go. We go to the restaurant. We send a message to the waitress by what we give her or him. We um, go to the hairdresser. Tell the hairdresser what we think of them by the nice tip that we give them. I always like to tip the hairdresser because, you know, it's someone with scissors close to your head. You want to make sure that those people, you want to make sure those people are, are happy with you. But you know what? I wonder how many of us tip the waitress, the hairdresser, buy gifts for ourselves that are way more extravagant than anything that we give to God. Jesus is standing there watching. He knows your context. He knows everything you do all over the place. And he looks at that and he says, wow, (laughs) this is what they think of me. A gift always, always, 
sends a message to the receiver. So what did you want to say to the Lord today by your offering? That's a question I have. Hatinga in his book says, Kingdom people give because they're no longer building their private kingdoms. Part of their worship involves continually transferring ownership of all that they have to their master. I can give you some advice in life. When you get that paycheck, pay God first. Pay yourself second. And pay your bills third. You say, wait a second, I have way too many bills. I can't pay myself. And egads, I couldn't pay God this week either. See, that's the problem. We've allowed our standard of living to determine our standard of giving instead of the other way around. Now, some of you are saying, I am such a fi- in such a fix right now. I, like God is speaking to my heart. He's convicting my heart, but I can't fix this right away. But you know what God wants you to do? You, you can start to fix it. You can, make, you can make a difference. You can start to make a little difference all the time until you work yourself into the place where the gift that you give to the Lord is truly a reflection of what you think of Him. Transformation tip. Make sure your standard of giving matches what you really think of God. Because He stands by the collection plate. Finally, he saw the rich and he saw the poor widow. He saw the gifts that apparently were quite healthy, but he also saw this widow wasn't very much. And I look here and I notice Jesus wasn't the least bit concerned with the total bottom line in God's treasury. It's not as if he was looking there and saying, oh man, those two copper coins. Oh, the Father is going to pull back on some of the miracles I'm going to be able to do this week. And I'm going to have to lay off a few angels. I can see that that's going to happen. You don't see Jesus thinking like that. You don't see him mentioning the bottom line at all. Simply because it's not the size of the gift, but rather the size of our God that is at issue here. For those of you, by the way, who collect pennies or pick them up, you're in good company. Now, you know, I, I, I've got to confess. I, I'm never picking a penny up. I'm a real snob about pennies that are laying around. Lynn will walk half a mile if she spots a penny on the ground. She'll walk over there and grab that penny. I don't even think it's worth picking up for the health concern alone of picking a penny up. <laughs> but she is differently. And I want to tell you, Lynn, you're in really good company. Because God really cares about pennies. That's what this story tells me. I was thinking, you know, why would Jesus be so amped up about a dollar sixty-seven when other people are putting in quite substantially more? It's simply this. It's because um, she may have been physically poor, but she had an amazingly rich view of God. See, I, if, I, if I only had two pennies, I, I wouldn't even bother throwing it in the offering plate here. I, I would think, I, I'm not even going to bother the teller. I'm not going to waste my time or, or Hugh Kennedy's time. I wouldn't even bother with that. But God cares about this. 
God, you notice what, she has such a rich view of God and a high level spiritual imagination. That's what I, I see here because God is the most amazing marketing genius. Think about this. With her $1.67, she not only served notice concerning her real trust in life, but she purchased the attention of millions of givers over two millennia of time. With this $1.67, the Father in Heaven has purchased a poster child to encourage and to challenge our hearts over 2,000 years. What an amazing marketing strategy. All for a dollar. We couldn't get a dollar, Calvin. We couldn't get a dollar sixty-seven marketing thing going here. But God has used this to challenge and to move and to grow hearts for two thousand years. How many countless numbers of people have been affected by the two thin ones that she faithfully threw on the offering plate because that's what she had, and she wanted to thank God. For all that he'd done for her. The least expensive fundraising illustration ever. When my oldest son was a little kid, he came to me one time and he said, I want offering envelopes. I was like, Graydon, what you put in the offering is not really even going to necessarily cover the cost of the offering envelopes. So I was like, you know, but he's a persistent kid, if you know him. And uh, he wore me down, and so, okay, fine, I asked the treasurer for offering envelopes for Graydon. You know, I'm glad that he wore me down. Because when I think about this, it occurs to me that Maybe it was there that the seeds of faith were planted in his heart. Of dependency on God. Of faithfulness toward God. Of worship. And just maybe it was at that time that Jesus called over some of the angels and said, Check out that kid's heart. That's a heart of worship. It makes no sense to hoard and accumulate for time which you can give away and keep for eternity. Transformation tip. Your standard of giving has a direct relationship to your faith. You want big faith? I'll let you complete the end of the sentence. The Word of God says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but... Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You cannot go with God and stay where you are in your giving. Father, I thank you for preserving this story. It's timeless. Although the values change, The inflated rate is different. The context, the heart, the message is the same. Lord, I thank you that you have given to us everything. And you need nothing. I thank you that you choose to grow us by acts of generosity on our part. Not with 
our own things, but with the things you've given to us that rightly belong to you. You don't ask for everything back. You just ask us to make a statement all the time about how much we love you. Not from what we don't have, but from what you've given us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. One time I saw an artist's depiction of this story, which was different than I had in my mind. The depiction of the widow was not of an older woman, but of a young widow with a baby in her arms and another little child holding on to her skirt. Puts a whole different emotion to it, in a way. I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm sure our Heavenly Father just let her go away and starve somewhere in a gutter. I wonder if we had the opportunity to interview her and say, are you glad that day that you told the Lord exactly what you thought of him? I have no doubt in my mind how she would respond. Yes, a thousand times yes. Remember, Jesus, the one who gave his life for you, he watches to see what we think of him. That's what worship is about. Father, thank you for being patient with us. Forgive us for our failings. Forgive us, Lord, for giving more to others because we were afraid how they might, what they might think of us. We thought that you could deal with leftovers. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us in this community to seek first the kingdom of God, that you would be first, that we would trust you, that our standard of giving would set the standard of living, not the other way around, so that our offering really would be worship. I pray, Lord, that you would use us in a powerful way because you have blessed us so amazingly. Help us to love you. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.